Welcome back to old Let's Talk About God. Old Let's Talk About God. So we're old now. Well, like just like old, like a good old Southern, you know, like that. Like I just did it, and I didn't even mean to. See, that's that's a Southern thing. Not necessarily old, just old. Big old, <laughs> big old. I had a friend of mine from college many many moons ago. His name was um Chris. We called him Bam Bam, and he was from the lower state of South Carolina. And one day we went to a restaurant or somewhere. And he was looking at somebody's food. He said, ooh, he said, that's a bit old sandwich. <laughs> he was being serious? <laughs> that's how he said it. A bit old sandwich. I said, no, you didn't just say bit old sandwich. <laughs> and he started laughing. He said, yes, I did. <laughs> and, and, and to translate, that's a big old sandwich. And that's actually how he talked. He said, a bit old sandwich. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was telling somebody yesterday, I wish I had like a hardcore Southern accent, like a Governor McMaster accent. Like none. Like I want like a refined, like, I say, I say, Savannah. I sit on you. Somebody, I say, somebody not. <laughs> I keep my feathers numbered for just such an emergency. Or like my boy, <laughs> I say, boy, <laughs> my foghorn leghorn impersonation. I'm doing um, what's his name? Michael Clump, Michael Scott's fat character oh, from yeah. the office. from the office. Yeah, there's been a, and then the one that's been a mud. There's been a mud. There's been a mud. <laughs> I uh, wish I had that accent, like unironically. Yeah, I think you have to grow up with that. You know, yeah, you can sure. you can mimic it. I mean, I'm Southern. I can't help it. I draw words and I get flat. I do, and I think they'll get up the worst I've gotten. But that you have to be because your mother in law mm-hmm. is from South Georgia, and she really says water. Not my mother in law. I mean, your grandmother. My mother in law. Your grandmother. Sorry, the, your grandmother. She really does say water. Yeah. And either. Jimmy. Jimmy. Her husband's name's Jimmy, and she says, Jimmy. I always tell her, she says, Jimmy, pull me a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, that's funny. There's nothing absolutely spiritual all about this. It's just we're we're two Southerners. That's it. Yeah, but you you kind of you, you leaked out a Southern word the other day or something. Remember, I, I said to you because you did something. What was it? I don't I, remember. I don't remember, but I don't know. But you did something, and I said, whoa, Evan, you sound like a Southerner right there. It'll happen. It's just particular words for me. Like, I don't have, like, a consistent, like, I don't go around talking like this all the time. You but it's like, flat. yeah, certain words will be, I'll just say really Southern. Well, if you're from Tennessee, see, then everything's got to be real flat. And you got to say, Tennessee, where are you from? I'm from Tennessee. <laughs> I mean, it's got to be as flat as you can get it, like flat like a pancake. What's Georgia? North and South Georgia are different, right? Two different things. And then if you're from Alabama, see, then you got to flatten everything, but you got to talk real slow. Then what are what are we then? Because I'm just so used to it. I don't pay attention. And if you go down Mississippi, see, you're not from Mississippi. You're from Mississippi. Mississippi. Mississippi, yeah. But what is South Carolina? South Carolina has three different things. You have the upstate, which is which is a totally different sort of just classical southern. Then you got the the, the Midlands, Columbia. Which you have, you get a little bit different draw. But now, if you get down in the Low Country, Charl- and they'll count Charleston, just Bamberg, Florence, then it's a t- it's it's bit old sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you get in Charleston, see, then you got that Charlestonian. Mm. You get down in that area. It's kind of like Government Masters. I don't know where he's from, but he's kind of got that classic Southern Charlestonian. I, I don't have an I've been trying to think of a pun this whole time and I don't have it. You don't have one. <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint. And sometimes you can't understand it all because uh, we had a we had a, a United States senator named Fritz Hollings back in the 80s, and Fritz Hollings was from the Low Country, 
And and uh, he talked like that. Everything he said was that way. Well, come on down there. We're gonna have a barbecue. We're gonna do a political action committee. We're gonna barbecue. We're gonna raise some money. <laughs> come on down here. That's how he talked. And have talk and had a finger. You're like, what did he say? Can we have a translator? So yeah, it. People think we got to tell this story. So people think that everybody in the South talks the same. And here we're proving they don't. If you go to Louisiana, then you got the whole Cajun thing that goes on. Mm-hmm. And uh, Texas, it's it's different. They don't tra- we have Geechee here as well? Yes, we have the Geechee in Charleston. Yeah. In Charleston, and so you and I, you, 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 everybody needs to know this. So when Evan was, I think you were still in high school then. We were you were at home, and you and I were sitting watching TV, and this documentary or special came on about the South. And so you and I thought, well, let's just watch it. We're just sitting there chilling. We're watching it, and they're they're interviewed. And they did close kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> one of the dudes. The whole, the whole program. They, they did do, I guess for Yankees. So Yankees couldn't understand us, I guess, or whatever. And so they're doing closed caption, and they talked to somebody from Tennessee and some from Alabama, and then they got people from Louisiana. And I remember you and I, we got about halfway through, and I looked at you, and I said, are you having any trouble understanding any of it? And you said, nope. I, I understand everyone. I said, me too. I haven't had a problem yet. <laughs> That's hilarious. I thought that was funny. I never forgot that. But you, you looked at me, nope, I understand every word every one of them said. <laughs> but they were closed caption. <laughs> so, yeah, that's oh, funny. Oh, boy. Well, just like there are one people in many accents, there's one body of Christ in many parts and gifts. That's Maybe. all I got was that that low-level Jesus juke. <sighs> yeah, I don't that, have a pun. That's, that's yeah. Yeah, I, I would have said something like, I think we need to – to get to our body of work and we need to get uh, we need to get to our body good. of work here and let's get let's get mm. let's get going we're behind we need to get ahead yeah we need to head this yeah we need to head this thing up and get going <laughs> at least you kind of redeemed that. i redeemed your puns because that was pretty that was pretty bad that was your worst I mean, that was I get, just, there's nothing it was like my brain's just empty yeah and usually i'm like on it yeah yeah well so what are we going to talk about today i mean obviously our listeners know because they, they know. by the way i had covid and i'm glad i'm over covid Last time, last episode, which Where I know did we're, you? we're a month. Yeah, last episode, and, and I know we're a month. We're a month behind. behind. We're actually a month ahead of everybody, but then by the time they listen, we're a month behind. But anyway, but anyway, yeah. So we're going to talk about the body of Christ, and, and what is it particularly that we're going to focus in on? Because the body of Christ is broad. Really, we're we're honestly just looking at the Apostle Paul's use of the body of Christ. So we're we're looking at hey, where, where is every time or almost every time that Paul uses the body of Christ, and then what are his applications? Why is he bringing up the body of Christ, and what does that have to do with you and I as everyday Christians? Because if you're saved, hey, guess what? You're in the body of Christ. Yeah. So we're talking about you. We're talking about us. So this is a word picture, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, an analogy. Yeah. So it's analogical that um, can help you to understand how you relate to the Lord and really how we relate to one another. So thirty second definition. What do we mean when we say the body of Christ? Uh, I I don't know if I have a thirty second definition. I can try here. I I got a little creative. I I saw this. Somebody wrote a book one time. I I, I put the body of Christ has been called the second incarnation. That's good. Because the church is the place and point of Christ's activity on earth now, just as his physical body was 
uh, during his earthly ministry. That's good. So, so that's that's what I think of is that we are we are who he was in the present. I would say when Paul uses the body of Christ, it's it's like the the corporate communion and outworking of each individual's mystical union with the body of Christ. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, with Christ and with one another. It's our communion with one another based on our shared participation in the body of Christ. That's really good. That's Boom. a good. That's good. So, like that. as we talk about the body of Christ today, we need uh kind of like what we just did there with with, with the definitions, we need to establish something. When the reason that Paul can talk about all Christians being a part of the body of Christ is because for each individual Union with Christ is the basis of salvation. So to be a Christian is to actually be joined with Christ. It's to put on Christ. It's to be in Christ. I think it's something like uh, Paul uses Paul uses it like 164 times. Some version of in Christ or in Christ Jesus. Um, you know, think about kind of the the popular uh, passages or verses that you have memorized that maybe you don't pay attention to. If anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, it is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So when we talk about salvation, we don't receive individual gifts from Jesus. We don't receive righteousness, wisdom, sanctification, redemption detached from Christ. We receive Christ. We're joined to Christ who is wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So we are mystically, um, mind-blowingly, spiritually united to his body, and we get all of the benefits of being in Christ. There's He who is joined to the Lord, he who is one with the Lord, the Bible says, is one with him in spirit. So there is a spiritual union yes. that takes place via the Holy Spirit. Yep, And that's why if you get saved, you're young in the Lord, and you've not been instructed correctly, and you think, great, I'm not going to hell. Hey, I'm going to heaven. And now they tell me I need to go to church and maybe do some things. Maybe I'll do them, and maybe I don't. And it's you're just seeing this as the benefits, and you're not seeing this as, hey, I got saved, and I just united with the Lord. I was separate from the Lord, and guess what? He just reconciled me and joined me to himself now, every day, I walk in union and mm-hmm. divine spiritual connection with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I've had a major transformation. Like we're, we're talking about reality. This is not up in the air. This is not just judicial language. This we're is what it's real. This is what it is. Yeah. This is what happened when you got saved. So if you don't know that and you don't think that, and now you're saying, I'm going to live any way I want to, or I'm going to go back doing this, or I do this, or I don't worry about what God thinks much. I'm just going to, I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. You've missed the boat completely. You have mm-hmm. jumped off the pier in the water and the boat's not there. And that's why I think this is so important for us to understand today that you, you are one with the Lord. There is a spiritual union there and that dictates everything. That, that's yeah. why people like me and others who say Jesus is everything to me, it's not it's not a catchphrase. I tell the Lord, I told him this morning, you're everything to me. Mm-hmm. You're my life. Because he is. If if I don't have him, then then I'm missing out on what I'm what, what who is supposed to be there anyway. Yeah. I mean, God created us, he's supposed to be there anyway. And, but but sin's there instead. But when I get saved, he's there. So 
So this whole concept of I am I am directly I mean Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus when the sun goes down. It, you don't con- disconnect from him. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah. Like you don't you, you don't can't turn him off. Yeah, and you don't leave him at church on Sunday. Yeah. <clears throat> you're you're you take him with you everywhere you go. Yeah. You know, people say well, I need to look up to heaven to pray to God. No, he's right here. You know, that's a, that's a nice thing to do, but he's right here inside of you and and he's the centrifugal force of your life. So saying all that, you know, I'm not I'm not like on a little rant here. I'm saying is that really is this foundation for us to understand today this whole concept of being connected with him and him being the head and then how it relates if I'm if that's happening to me and to you and to me everybody else in my church all the hundreds of people that go to high praises all of us have that same situation that creates this whole dynamic that we need to talk about today absolutely and if you want to hear more about union with Christ we actually have an entire episode on union with Christ so one of the benefits of us doing this podcast since 2019 if we got we've got some good callbacks now yeah exactly. <laughs> so we can actually direct you to all kinds of places go listen to our episode on union with Christ for a fuller treatment of that so let's look at what the Bible says just very quickly that you know believers are members of the body of Christ so first Corinthians 1227 can I stop oh yeah I, I, I apologize I just had this epiphany so before we go into this can, can we just Paint a picture. Sure. So in Paul's mind, and I'm going to take this a step further, in God's mind, God God sees us in a number of ways, Mm -hmm. okay? But he, and maybe we should say Jesus, because Paul talks about Jesus, Jesus sees us as his body on the earth. And I'm not even going to say sees us. As long as what you mean by Jesus is like we just talked about, we actually are. Right, we are, and and we are. It's but, more than a metaphor. Right, that's what I'm saying. So as we're not going to talk about we are the body of Christ. No, we are. We are the body of Christ. <laughs> we are. We're not like the body of Christ or similar to it or function like it. It's not a word picture. We are. We are. The body of of Christ. You say, well, no, he had a body when he was on there. He did. We're talking about a mystical body. Right. A spiritual one, but a real one. A collective of all the redeemed. He sees us as the members of his body mm-hmm. on earth. Okay. So I just think we need to clear that up. So 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. So collectively, when you put us all together with the body of Christ, individually we're members of it. Like a, like an arm, like a leg, like a digit mm-hmm. on your hand, like... Pinky toe. A ear. <laughs> right. Uh, Colossians 1, 24 says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am... Our typo, as I am completing in my flesh what is liking what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. So yep. Paul clearly says uh his body is the church. So and, and, and let's stop there. You, yeah. you know, we talked about we were gonna do this, so don't think I'm just rudely interrupting Evan. We we talked about this. We're just gonna kinda we're gonna <laughs> yeah. ping, we're gonna play ping pong. Yeah, it's all good. Um it is he, I love the fact that he says the body is the church. Uh-huh. So, so it isn't it, it's the church. And and I, I know when I was preparing for this. Several theologians were, made sure they pointed out this can be the universal church, mm-hmm. the Catholic church with a little C, because yeah. Catholic means universal, not mm-hmm. the big C. Not the, and, we're not or, talking about Rome. Yeah, not talking about Rome. Or it can be a local church. Mm-hmm. The, it, the scriptures bear that out. So I, I just think it's cool, though, that he's saying, and I think this is important because you and I are going to talk about some things today, the body of Christ 
is the church. The church. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nothing different. Um, and then this is kind of our last preliminary point, and then we can really get into it. It is by, and you mentioned it in passing, it's by the Spirit that we are in the body. So some good Trinitarian theology right here. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one Spirit to drink. So how are we joined to the mystical body of Christ? It's by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit comes and grabs us, then he unites us to, to Jesus, and then through Christ, we are reconciled with the Father. And by virtue of that, we participate in the, in the entire Trinity. Right, because baptism has a lot of nuances to it. One of them is union. When you, when you take me in the water and submerge me, I am at that point completely united in the water. And, and then, of course, then I'm brought up out of it. But there is the sense of there is union in the water. And and so there is the understanding that 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 through baptism that I'm united with the element, and so the element here is the body. So we are baptized, we are united, joined with, if you will, uh, the body of Christ. But it is the Holy Spirit who does it. And then He says, when when you get saved and and the Spirit puts you in the in the church in the body, and then Jesus takes the Spirit and puts the Spirit inside your physical body. That's what that verse says. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Mm-hmm. So when I drink, it goes in. Whatever I drink goes inside of me. So the Holy Spirit. See, see, we were all given one spirit. We were given the spirit, which I think that's like saying when you were saved and you received the Spirit of God, because the Bible says if anyone doesn't have the Spirit, so there's some really cool analogies here. Is that the Spirit puts me in the church? Jesus puts the Spirit in me. That's where the spiritual union is happening. And you have that, I have that, everybody so has that. One spirit. One spirit. Everybody mm-hmm. has one spirit. That's that's joining. That's what's uniting us. Mm. Uh, it's, it's really deep stuff. It's good. I taught our students recently um, on, uh, I didn't use this language, but the um, the kind of eternal relationship of, of the Trinity. The technical language, I think, is perichoresis, which I would never say that. But um, basically, I, the idea is this, and the way God works is the Father always sends the Son by the Holy Spirit. Everything is through from the Father, through the Son, and by the Spirit. Yeah. And then the way back to God is by the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. Yes. So the Father sends the Son by the Holy Spirit, but then the Holy Spirit comes and arrests us, unites us to Christ, and now I'm reconciled to the Father. It's this sort of swinging back and forth. Right. And then the father directs the son who gives the spirit. When you're saved, then it turns again. There's another one. Then the father through the son puts the spirit inside of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all this is happening instantaneously yeah, when you're exactly. getting saved. And, and so, yeah, there's this powerful work of Christ in us. And his whole point is so we can be connected and united and have a relationship with him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every minute of every day. And this is why it's so important that when you mentioned water baptism, you know, I know there's some some people who we would call Jesus only. He only baptized in the name of Jesus. But we really emphasize Trinitarian baptism, one, because it's orthodox, and two, because of the picture it paints that we're talking about right now. Um, it's in the name of or in the stead of. It's not in the name of Chris or Evan, but in the triune God we serve and brought into participation with him. Yeah. It's what we want to convey. Right. That's the God we're caught up in in this wonderful relationship. Yeah. <clears throat> so, 
Um, with all of that kind of said, um, very important, um, what are kind of the implications of all of this? What does it mean to be in the body of Christ in the sense is like, what now? <laughs> what, is, what spiritual effect does this have? I'm in communion with the Trinity. I'm in Christ's body. What's, what's first that we need to know? Well, Christ, so this is really important, and I think, because I think you and I in a minute, we're going to really get into the body part Mm -hmm. of what are the nuances, the dynamics (laughs) of the body parts, of the body parts, yeah. That was great. Of the members. I, I, I meant the part of our discussion. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, that was a I great. Can, pun. I can pun. I do it all the time. I pun when I don't mean, mean it. But but the starting point is we got to start with Christ, who is the head. Yeah. So so the Paul makes it clear that that Christ is the head of of the body. Um, and you've got some scriptures here, like verse Colossians one eighteen. He also is the head of the body, the church. So that says it very cleanly. Mm-hmm. Ephesians one and twenty two, and he subjected everything under his feet. And this would be God the Father. Mm-hmm. He subjected everything under Jesus' feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. Okay, so he's head over the church. So so you have that implication. So he's the head of the body. He, which also implies he's the head over the church. Okay, mm-hmm. so not the local pastor. He's the steward. Jesus is the head of the we church. We're under shepherds. Exactly. Ephesians five twenty three because the husband is the head of the wife, uh, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Mm. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to pause right there. Um, there are two thoughts that come to my mind. Mm-hmm. One, they did this in the French Revolution. They took a guillotine and they would. Chop off your head, you know. Marie Antoinette mm-hmm. would say, "Off with his head," and you know, maybe it was that maybe it was that Queen in Alice in Wonderland, off with his head, you know. And so she wanted to chop everybody's head off. You chop my head off, there's no more life to my body. Yeah. So, so the head. See, if I lose an arm, if I lose <clears> a <throat> finger, an ear, I'm still alive. Yeah. Chop my head off. That's You're the one member. Is so, so the life giving source. To the body, and I'm I'm just going to go down this road for a minute. So so listen, do you need to pray? Do you need to talk to Jesus every day? Do you need to commune with Him and fellowship with Him? Is it necessary to go to church and and experience His presence with other saints? Absolutely, there is a life giving force and flow that comes out of your relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. Does it come? Maybe we should say inherently or 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 internally. Yeah, I think so. I think just by sheer union with Christ, but also it ought to be nurtured. It, it ought to be tended to. It ought it ought there ought to be direction and effort made intentionally to engage the head and to engage Christ. But but I think the point is, and boy, we could go down a whole rabbit trail, which we won't. That there is a life giving force and grace that comes from union with Christ. Absolutely. Let me read these pa- these last two passages. I think they really highlight it. Okay. Colossians 2:18 through 29 says, "Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind." So he's talking about, you know, sinful people with crazy thoughts. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God. So the whole body is nourished, right? uh, They hold on to the head. The whole body is nourished 
and they grow with a growth from God. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. So all of the growth begins with the head. Anything, any other part, the way that the body builds itself up, it all begins at the head. Our growth is from the head, and he actually tells us to grow up into the head. So yeah. there's a growth from it and a growth into it. Right. So so the implications in my pastoral mind is going here is, one, individually, I need to stay connected to Jesus. I need to pray, read my Bible, have communion with the Lord, not going through motions, but literally have that conversation where I am in relationship with Jesus. That's mm-hmm. my life-giving force. I had a, uh, when I was in college, I went to intern at a church in Florida and the, and the, they had a Christian education director full time. Her name was Claudia Waits and Claudia really mentored me um, and talked to me. I was like 19, 20 years old. And I remember she said something one day, she said, I read my Bible and I pray every day and I spend time with Jesus. She said, I have to have that. She said, it feeds me. She said, it's like drinking water and eating food. She said, if I don't do it, for an extended period, she said, if I go one or two, she said, just like you don't eat and you feel weak, she said, I begin to feel spiritually weak. I had never had anybody say that to me. But what she was saying is, I have to feed on Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, I know communion, I think, has a little bit of that. I think there are a lot of nuances in communion is that that I feed off of him, that I, I you know, he is. It's a participation in him. In his life. Paul says, yeah. Again, in his, in him and in his life. And so, um, I, I think, so that's what, two you carry out the next dynamic is not only is that true for me as an individual, it's true for a church. Mm-hmm. So if you have a church that just everything's run by men and or women and it's, and it's all men directed and there's a, and you got a format and a schedule and we're going to do all these religious things and traditional things. And we're going to do, and we're doing, and when we get done, we feel good about our program and there's never been any interaction with Christ. Nothing's happened that's affected the people. I, I don't think the Lord's pleased with that at all. I think when the church comes together, we, we are living stones. The Bible says it forms a holy habitation for God to come down. So, so there should be a feeding of the people of God, a, a life-giving your 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 church service there it should be some kind of a life giving event mm-hmm. it, 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 whether it just feeds you and encourages you and strengthens you or God actually meets a need but but Jesus should show up mm-hmm. you know it, it it should be a Jesus event yeah and he should be glorified but then the body should interact with him when you worship it's you're worshiping him and you're experiencing him so so that's that's one thing and I mean we could do entire episodes. The other thing that this says to me, and I want to get your thoughts on this, um, the head, the concept of head usually carries with it, the, and I think we saw that in Ephesians 5.23, the idea of covering an authority. Yeah, for sure. So, 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 so I think that says that by understanding that Christ is the head and I'm a member of his body, that not only do I, I mean, there's a third thing, but, but I think these are the two that are. They're immediate for me. Is that he's in charge? Mm-hmm. He's my covering. He's my leader. You know the, the 
the, the, my arm just doesn't get to do whatever it wants to. It does what my brain tells it to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Every every part of my body, even even my heart pumping and everything, it still comes through the the nervous system. Yeah. Uh, you 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 kill a certain part of the brain, the heart will stop pumping. You kill a certain part of the brain, and and other parts of your body won't work. So that's the point. Is he's my covering? He's my head. I answer to him. So I do that individually. Then the church answers to him. Mm-hmm. And and I think a church or a, a, a Christian who sees Christ as Lord, because I've always said people say oh, you got to receive Jesus as your Savior. I think you receive Jesus as your Lord. He's got to be your leader. Okay. If if you will confess with your mouth the Savior Jesus Christ, is that what Romans says? I I, I don't know that I would ever de- separate those. He's, yeah, he's both. He's both, right? But people don't see it that way. See, you and I see it is you you don't parcel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just he's everything. He's not just he's Savior, Lord, Healer, Deliver. He's Master. He's King. He's all that. Mm-hmm. But but Evan, there are people who do. Well, he saved me, but now. I'm gonna go do my thing. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, yeah. he's he's your he's the Lord. He's your head. He's your covering. You function. If you're gonna function, you function according to what he says, mm-hmm. and that's where you know you become a disciple of Jesus, and you follow him, and you follow his teachings. Yeah, and that's why. And same thing through with the church. The church. He should be the head of the church. So so every decision made, we ought to say, is this what Jesus wants us to do? Mm-hmm. It, it, every every. Uh, everything we do in church is this glorifying Jesus. Is mm-hmm. this is Jesus being able to do what the Lord wants to do? That's good. And uh, and, and then, of course, then we get to part- and I won't get into this, but I think we're going to talk about this later. Then, then we get to participate in His ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll talk about this in yeah. just a second. I think that's good. Something that I would add too is as we talk about growth that that comes from the Lord, um, <clears throat> it's kind of twofold. The it's. It's the Lord who gives strength to the body, and He equips us. He gives us gifts to build up ourselves. And then I think there's two. <clears throat> there's there's just life giving property in God in general. And what I mean to say is like, we just we we get spiritual life from Jesus just by virtue of His presence. Like we are a theology podcast. We're dedicated to it. You should never stop learning. But when I say that Jesus gives life to the soul, I don't mean to say he just gives life to the mind. Like he doesn't just like fill your brain up with good things. Jesus isn't just a pragmatist. But when you're united to the head, there is a spiritual virtue that ignites and renews and regenerates your soul. And just by being connected to the vine, as Christ says, you are filled with supernatural life. So I think there's something that we should expect when we go to meet Jesus, whether it's in his word or whether it's at church or it's in music or it's in communion, something that is um, not anti-intellectual, but separate, that's not just about learning. It's just about receiving Jesus. Yeah. Does that make sense? Experiencing him. Jesus, yeah. even if you never feel anything, you just get him. Like the promise that he's going to be there, Jesus is here. And like I put food in my body, he will nourish me even if I never feel it, or even if up here in my brain, I didn't necessarily learn something new by virtue of the life-giving, holy presence of God, he's doing something in me, which is like a like kind of comforting and restful to know if Christ has promised to be there, he's feeding me whether I know it or not. Yeah, there is a spiritual nourishment that takes place with Christ. I, I was thinking about this 
I pray the Lord's prayer. And so I go through the Lord's prayer and there's certain things that I do. And I spend a lot of time. Um, I probably spend the bulk of my time, a good part of it, lion's share, just worshiping the Lord mm-hmm. and talking about the Lord. And oftentimes I'll say the same things because I mean, I only have the revelation he's given me. And I, I go through the, the seven I am's of Christ. I am the good shepherd. I am the doorway to the sheepfold. Um, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the a, a vine and you are the branches. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I've gone through this so many times. And one day I was praying, I had this revelation. I thought, just about all of those, maybe all of those, if you said, what's the key theme? It's life. Mm-hmm. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You want to have, you want to be connected with God? That life, that living relationship's got to come through me. I'm the light of the world. Scientists will tell you that where there is no light, mm-hmm. there is no life. I mean, you, it takes light for there to be life. And I'm the vine, and you're the branches. You already mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got to stay connected to the vine. If I'm not, I shrivel up and die. And don't bear any fruit. So I just thought it really is what you're just saying. It really being with Jesus. Everything as he the great I am is about life, and he is a life giving God. Yeah, that's good. And the greatest thing I can do is just stay connected just to be him, with him, be with him, and talk with him, and and be aware of that, mm-hmm. and just look to him mm-hmm. and realize I don't have to work for it. I don't have to. I don't have to drum it up. I just. I just need just to receive and and just focus on him. That's good. So let's talk about unity and love in the body of Christ. And um, then we'll talk about how the body builds itself up through the gifts. And then I want us to talk about the marriage analogy. Um, but Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 24 through 26. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Uh, Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of Christ, which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts. And then finally, Ephesians 3.6-7 says, The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I highlighted that for a number of reasons, as I think Paul points out that there is a particular unity in the body of Christ, and then there should be a particular love and care for the body of Christ. So he's talking about those with different spiritual gifts. And he says, look, um, uh, God has put the body together, you know, giving greater honor to the less honorable gifts, if you will, so that there would be no division in the body. God's desire is that there is no division, but that the members would have the same concern with one another. If a member suffers, we all suffer. If a member rejoices, we all rejoice. When we think of a body, a body is it has many parts, but it's one collective unit. Um, you know, we don't just say, "Hey, there's arms, legs, nose, eyes, ears, head over there." <laughs> it's just like right. there's a person over there. There's a human over right. there. We talk about one, and um, God intends for His church to be the same way that we are united and that we have a concern for one another. That we don't want to dishonor one another. A person would never dishonor his own body. They would never uh, look down at different parts of their own body. It's his body. You you care for all parts. You go to the doctor for your teeth, just or, or I guess the dentist, just as much as you go to the doctor for your heart or for your brain. You just want to take care of yourself. Um, 
And then because the body is one, we want to be unified in the sense that if somebody suffers, we aren't detached. We aren't non-emotional. We aren't um, dismissive or walk away. But just like when my foot suffers, right? The whole body suffers. There are things that I can't take my whole body. Um, If I can't get around, there are things my eyes can't travel somewhere to look at. My ears can't go to hear something different. It it limits me. In the same way, we should be a people so united with one another that we weep and that we rejoice with members of our church. Right. And anytime there's division in the church, that's when God despises it and because it no longer reflects the unity and love that, that, characterizes him mm-hmm. where he is there's unity and love okay where he's in control where he's the head then there's unity and love in the church mm-hmm. that's why paul prayed for the unity of the spirit in, in the bond of peace yeah and i know what i pray for my church i pray for that i pray for the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace i pray oftentimes lord keep out the wolves and sheep's clothing and the black sheep mm-hmm. because wolves and sheep's clothing and black sheep will come in and tear up your church yeah they'll bring poison and toxicity and and division, and I and I've had to deal with people in thirty something years. Every once in a while, they they try to get in. There have been people who've tried to bring disunity rather than unity, and the church leadership. We deal with it mm-hmm. because if you allow that, it's damaging the body of Christ. It's like having a cancer in your body. I was just thinking that, or it's like some like your your own immune system attacking you. Yeah, yeah, and so well, I wouldn't say even your immune system because I think those people who come in, they may claim to be Christians, but if well, they're, yeah. Yeah. they're causing division, they're not. You know, Paul. Paul. Anytime he dealt with them in the in the book of in the New Testament, he didn't treat them very much like they were saved. He yeah, treated them yeah. like they were they were antagonists. So 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 unity is really really critical, and that's why you know in your church, uh, strive for unity in your relationships with brothers and your brothers and sisters. We're, we're different. Um, our personalities are different. Everybody has idiosyncrasies. Look, some people get on your nerves. Mm-hmm. You get along easier with some people than other because you, your personalities are similar. But the thing is, his blood has made us one. Yeah, and so we, we're able through Christ to look past that, and and then which leads to love. We we love each other. And I, I don't know if you want to go down this road. I, I still think it's fascinating. Um, in the early church, we don't understand this, but predominantly. The early, the first members of the early church were Jewish. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and then there were some Samaritans who were half Jewish, who who got saved, and and so they were they were okay with that. They were they were dealing with that, and then God starts saving non Jewish people, Gentiles, and they had to really process that because under the Jewish religion, you didn't talk to these people, you didn't go in their house, you, you didn't sure, eat with them. surely didn't sit down and have a meal with them, yeah, much less communion. Mm-hmm. And now they're having to understand that God is creating this thing called the church, which nobody had ever heard of. It was just the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. So he's creating this brand new thing called it. And that was Paul's job. Paul's, Paul's responsibility. He gets this revelation from God when God caught him up in the third heavens. He showed him all this. And so, so Paul's trying to teach the church. There's this new paradigm. He's taking two groups that were antagonistic that called each other names that that defamed each other, that wouldn't even sit in the same house together. Same with the Samaritans. They hated the Samaritans. I hated it. And so you add that group, <laughs> and he's taking Jews and Gentiles, and he's, bringing, he's redeeming them and bringing them together into one group, one body mm-hmm. called the church. And he's tearing down the wall because in the temple, he used that analogy, there were, there were curtains, and there, so there was different courts. And you were limited according to your station in life, how far you could go in in the temple. 
So the only people in the middle area closest to God, so to speak, the Holy of Holies, were the priests. Mm-hmm. And then the next one was the men. So there's a court of the men. Well, if you were a man, well, then you got closer than everybody else. But now if you were a woman, there was a woman's court. You couldn't go into the court of the men. You surely couldn't go to the court of the priests, and you couldn't go in the Holy of Holies. So you're further. There was the outer court was the court for the Gentiles, the yeah. proselytes. And that's where the the shopkeepers had the selling the doves and the merchants. They didn't even they didn't even care about the Gentiles. They turned their worship area into a store. That's why Jesus flipped the tables. Not just like it, it wasn't just him being angry at merchants, but it's that it could not be a house of prayer for all people. The Gentiles couldn't go in and pray. And, they, and that's why he said, "My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people, and mm-hmm. and not just Jews." And that was the court of the Gentiles. So this Paul said it's a mystery that he's taken these people who naturally hate each other. He's redeeming them, putting the love of God in their hearts and bringing them together. And before they would have not even sat in the same room. Now they're sitting there having meals together and laughing. And it's very much not pragmatic. This was not just sort of like us kind of powering through. This was a supernatural event. That's the word. This was divine love. This is, uh, you know, Pentecost comes, and then these folks start selling stuff for one another and communing with one another and loving one another. That's a gift of God. That, that's not something humans just do. Right, and that's why if your church is a social club and, and they're elitist and certain people in power and other people, it's not the church. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I have seen it. Uh, I remember... I remember a great example. Tommy Barnett pastored First Assembly in Phoenix, Arizona. It was a big church. And Tommy Barnett had a lot of influence on a lot of people. But Tommy Barnett, he treated everybody the same, from what I didn't know him personally. But the things that I were told, things I read, he could have a United States senator going to his church, and then he could have somebody on WIC, you know, mm-hmm. who's hardly can, you know, is poor. They sat side by side. And that's the kind of church he built, is we are. None of that other stuff, your station in life, none of that matters. Not in here. You are the body of Christ. We're all equal. The ground is yep. level at the foot of the cross. And he and boy, that just attracted people because then they, they said, I can be part of something where I belong and it doesn't matter whether I'm rich or poor or whether I'm a man or a Jew woman. Jew Gentile, slave or free. Right, exactly. That's, I guess what we're trying to say is that's the body of Christ. That's right. Christ is the main factor, not anything else. So this is... Um, this is just massive right here, what we're going to talk about, is that God gives certain gifts to the body for the body to build its own self up. Once again, Christ is the primary factor in building the body up, but the way that he works through it is he gives each individual a particular gift or set of gifts, and they are to use that to actually build the body up in maturity. <clears throat> so let me just read you a few of these. Romans 12, 4 through 8. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If if prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. Ephesians 4, 9 through 16. This is huge. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints 
for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. That's huge Mm -hmm. right there. Both of those were just absolutely massive, and especially that Ephesians passage gives us a clear picture of the role of folks like apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and gives us a proper function for what the body of Christ is actually supposed to do and what the end goal is. Yeah, so God, God, the Son— and a lot of people don't know this, but there a lot of people know like the nine gifts of the Spirit. Well, these are the gifts of the Son because it says He ascended and descended. It's talking about Jesus. So Jesus gave the church. I don't know if you saw that. He Himself gave some to be apostles. So apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. That's the gift of Jesus to His church, to His body. Okay, what's what's your job? My job because we're pastors. We're we're called. We have a calling in our life. We we can't do anything else. We don't have a career. We have a calling. So God called us and gave us this gift to the mm-hmm. church. We're a gift to God's church. You and I are a gift to the body of Christ. What's our job? We're to equip and edify the saints. For the work of the ministry. Right. So edify means to build up. So through teaching and preaching, we build up the body of Christ mm-hmm. through knowledge, that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. By equipping means that we train people to do the work of ministry. We help them to find their gifting and then to do the work of God. That's why people who say, well, we pay the preacher, and the preacher's supposed to do all the work. He's supposed to evangelize, and he's supposed to witness. No, 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 no. Don't ever go down that road because mm-hmm. it's wrong. Yeah. Okay? He's just a member of the body, too, but he's a part of the body that God has given to help the rest of the body be the body. So it's the church's job to evangelize. The preacher ain't out there at work with, with all your all your coworkers over at the plant. He don't <laughs> know those people. Okay. You got to go over there and you got to witness those people. He's never going to see them people. Yeah. Okay. I'm being facetious now. <laughs> you're right, though. I mean, you're right. you're right. So so your job is to witness. Your job is to evangelize. Your job is to pray. Somebody says, You're a Christian, aren't you? You're, you know, yeah, I'm sick. Would you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. You pray for him. Okay. You mentor the, the young girl at, at your job who's just known the Lord, and, and she she says, will you help me you know, grow in the Lord? Yeah, I'll help you out. Mm-hmm. She, she didn't even go to your church. It doesn't matter. You just She's part of the body of Christ. That's our job as the body. So we minister to one, we, one another. We strengthen one another. We help one another. Uh, I, I put some notes here um, uh, that uh, we're, we're called to edify and to help and to encourage and to strengthen other believers in our church. That's mm-hmm. Ephesians 4, 15 through 16. We're called to bear one another's burdens. We're, we're, we're called to restore those who are found to be in sin. Yeah. You know, the Bible says somebody, it's your job to, uh, to, to say, hey, listen, you, you, listen, I love you, but you're not living right. What's happening to you? Yeah. I, I've, I've, had, I've had people in our church do that to other people who just weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And, and, and one of our other members was there and saw it and, said, and then got them alone and said, what, what are you doing? You know, you go to church here and you're supposed to be saved. Why are you talking like that? Mm-hmm. Just call them out. Which is, you say, well, should they do that? Yeah, that's what you do. You, you say, look, you're not supposed to do like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to do better. 
And, and well, that's preacher's job. No, preacher wasn't there on the job site. Yeah, it's it's our job. And if we don't be the body, if my body parts don't do what needs to be done, then the ministry doesn't happen. The help doesn't happen. So so if I stub my toe. Then, then I'm going to get my hands and start mas- ma- massaging my toe because it hurts. Yeah. Grabbing my foot, the hands get a hold of it and say, "Let's see if we can alleviate the pain." Let's take my hands go over and my eyes see where the Tylenol is, and and, I, and my mouth opens and I drink and I take the. T- see what I'm saying? The yeah. body starts Works working together. right to say we got to deal with this pain in our body, mm-hmm. and that's why if somebody in the church is not living right, yeah, it it affects you. If somebody in the church is Hurting, yeah, it affects you. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to just going to keep my mouth shut. You wouldn't keep your mouth shut if there was a part of your body that was hurting mm-hmm. or in need. If somebody has a need, if you're, if if, if you say, man, my tooth, oh, I got to get to a dentist. My tooth is, I got to, you, you, you'll get them to the dentist. Same thing in the church. If you see a need, meet it. Yeah, and you do it because this is my brother, my sister. This is part of the body. Of Christ, that's good. And if if you have that mindset, good for you. If you're saying, you know, I'm Pastor, I don't, Chris, Chris Evan, I don't know that I've ever really thought that way. Well, good. That's I hope this podcast today can help you to say, I'm going to start being more aware that I'm part of something bigger than me, and they bless me. They would help me. I need to be ready to bless and help them. I'll say this: I think churches, and I'm glad that we do what we call growth track. I think churches um, can do a better job, especially larger churches like ours at equipping the saints literally to do the ministry, which is not, which is uh, teaching and preaching from our vantage point, teaching sound doctrine. You know, Paul says one of the goals is to grow into maturity and to prevent us from every wind and wave of doctrine, but equipping people to actually take their God given gift and then use it for the support of the body. I think it's easy to preach that and then never give someone an opportunity. I love what we do is that if you're going to be a member to join our church, um, you're going to go through growth track and you're going to um, take your spiritual gifts test. You're going to see how God's wired you. We're going to find out what you're passionate about. And then we're going to look for opportunities in our church to actually plug you in and say, hey, how has God gifted you and how can you give that back for the good of the church? And then uh, Pastor Billy has introduced a, uh, something where we're still kind of getting off the ground, which is the idea of small groups, which isn't top down, right? We're not telling you what small groups are going to be, but if you have an idea, we pray about it, leadership feels good about it, you can come and take your God-given gift, start a small group, and begin to minister to the church um, based on your gifting. So if you have the gift of you know, mercy, then you, you can go out and serve the community. If you're an evangelist, get something together and, and, and you know, find ways to go spread the gospel. Or, you know, we, we can go down that road. But my point is, is that churches like we do should um, be very intentional about equipping the saints and then opening up the door for ministry. Yeah, because the three parts to it is, is, is session one is knowing God, but then session two and session three is is discovering your purpose and then making a difference. Mm-hmm. And so making a difference is we say, okay, would you like to serve? We, we, we've helped you to learn. We've helped to discover what your gifting is. L- let's get you involved. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with that. So, so I want to tell this story. I think we talked about this when I, when we first started high praises over 23 years ago, um, 
uh, Lee and Lee and I came over here, brought you guys, you and your brother, you guys were, you were children, you know, you, you were two, you were two and Jaron was seven and I was 30, 33. Um, and we had our, we had our first, first or second death. Well, at the church that I came from and the pastor chose to do it this way. Okay. The pastoral staff did the meals, serve the meals for, for when there's a death and, you know, a church will bring food to the house. Um, we would serve the meals. So we had like, I've cooked a ham at for three hours at 350 degrees. I've, <laughs> I've, I've done it many times. I know how to cook a shank ham and, and do all that. And then we would go get the food and all the plates and get it all together, put it in our car. We would go to the house, set it all out, have prayer with the family. Uh, sometimes they'd want you to stay and eat. Sometimes we just set it out and leave. I did it for years. I was there 10 and a half years. We did it. Okay. I come here. I've, I'm starting my first church. So in my mind, Lee and I have to do it. So we go to this, this house. It's one of our first deaths in 1999. And, and Lee and I pulled this whole meal together and we walk in, we said, listen, we brought you food and we start putting it out. Two of my members are there who know this, the, the woman in our church, they're her mm-hmm. friends. They're there and their eyes got big as pancakes. <laughs> and they watched me for a minute mm-hmm. and Lee and I are setting everything out and there's a certain way. I had a certain process. I wanted also, and I'll never forget, I think it was Jean, I'm going to call her name, Jean Salmons. Jean came over to me. She said, Pastor, what are you doing? Just like that. I said, <laughs> I, my eyes got big. I said, like you've done something wrong. I said, I'm serving a meal. I said, what's wrong? She said, you're not supposed to do this. <laughs> and I just almost fell over. I said, what do you mean I'm not supposed She said, that's not your job. I said, it's not. And we're having this conversation in these people's house that just had a death. And I said, what's my job? She said, you're supposed to be in there with the family talking with them. I said, well, then who's supposed to serve the food? She said, we are. <laughs> and, and I mean, in all due respect to the former church and the pastor, I never had a member tell me that. Yeah. But they came from a church where where they had a church background where in that church it was understood that the body operates. I said, you do? She said, yes. She said, you're supposed to go in there. She said, will you let us do the rest of this? I said, okay. And I looked, I said, nobody's ever told me this before. <laughs> and I was kind of laughing. She said, you got to go in there. You're, you're our pastor. You need to be in there ministering to them. I said, okay. I said, you can do it. I said, you have to do it this way. I said, you got to do this. And I said, I want the, the plates and then silverware and the napkins here. And then I want the meat first and then the vegetables. And then I want the, the desserts here. And I want the, the ice and the drinks over here. And I want you to hang it, put a, a garbage bag over here. She said, we'll do it all just like. And so that was the first and the last meal that I ever served mm-hmm. that I can remember unless there was some kind of a breakdown in 23 years. I don't know that I ever did another one. They, those two ladies and another guy for 23 years, and there were a couple more people for 23 years, they have served every meal at high praises. Wow. When there's been a death. That's incredible. And they enjoy it. They would not keep doing it if it didn't give them life. It's their passion. It's their gift. It's what they love going in there and blessing that family and seeing them light up and they're grieving, but they get to bring a bright spot and make it easy for them, mm-hmm. or they don't have to try to come up. What are we going to eat? So, and, we, and they love to do it after the funeral. Mm-hmm. So we always try to target after the funeral. So when the funeral's over in their home, and they're, they've gone through all that, they're exhausted, they're stressed, they're tired, our group comes in and puts this massive food out and sets it up and just blesses them. And Pastor Terrence now, for a number of years now, he'll go, he'll pray with them, talk with them for a few minutes, and then leave. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that's that's the body. Yeah. That's being the body of Christ. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that just shows um you there, there's no way one man can do it all himself and the people don't want that. The people love serving God. People love doing what they love to do. What they're called to do. And it's almost wrong to take it away from. Like I think of someone on our youth staff who's just going through a really busy time right now, and he preaches regularly to the middle schoolers. And so I had text him. I was like, hey, like I know you're really busy. Like, I, like I'm going to be down there Sunday. Like I'm not scheduled to preach upstairs. I can preach. Like you just let me know. He's like, no, I enjoy it. Like it's like catharsis for me. Like yeah. don't take this away from me. I'm like, you got it then, you know, because yeah. that's his passion. That's what he's called to do to minister to the middle schoolers. Um, his career is busy and stressing him out, but his calling gives him life, gives him life. Yeah. Cause he's, he's ministering to, to the body. Absolutely. I'm, I'm thinking about pastor Billy, our worship pastor. Uh, he got COVID several months ago. Couldn't be here. And he just called his team and we've got all these incredibly talented musicians and people who can, you know, handle a service and speak and they handled it. Yeah. They got up. You never did, know. Never knew. Billy wasn't there and they just functioned and just went right on and everybody functioned and they just, and, but, but he designed, he's not the um for like a lot of worship pastors have to be the upfront guy on the keyboard. And they do all the singing and they mm-hmm. do, all, he does it. He's the opposite. He plays, he equips, and then he just equips everybody else. So yeah. I knew that it wasn't going to be a problem because they do it every week. Yeah. And he sees his job as I got, I've got to develop their talents, their giftings. I even have to help, help them with their stage presence I have to help them with their presentation if they want to make some remarks. That's his job. He equips them, and then they minister to the body. And he, it, that's see, that's what we do. Our job is to help people be great at what they can do for God. And I think it reminds me of the apostles who you know they they started the deacon ministry because it's not that serving food to the widows wasn't important, but it's that they had a particular role, role which was to preach and teach, establish apostolic doctrine go evangelize to the world and and you know start the church that way. So when <clears throat> when pastors have to do everything, it weakens their role as the shepherds and the teachers of the church. And if you're a pastor <clears throat> listening, I don't know if any of our pastors are listening, but this would be good for anybody who's say not well if you're high praises, we'll appreciate it too. But say if you're not in our church and and you're 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 a member of another church, but if you're a pastor, if you're doing everything, you're training your people that don't I don't need you. I'll do everything. And a lot of pastors will kill themselves. Well, they teach their church that. So then the church thinks, well, the pastor's supposed to do everything. Mm-hmm. Best thing you can do is go in there and say, I'm not supposed to do everything. You are. I have certain things that I'm called to do. My job is to train you all to do it. So I need some volunteers. And you might have one or two people, old people say, ah, I don't understand. What are we paying you for? Well, what you're paying him for is, first of all, feed you every week and preach mm-hmm. to you and minister to you to edify you. But you also are supporting. So you don't pay him. By the way, you support your pastor. Okay, you don't pay him, you support him. And you support him so that he can fulfill the call of God. The call of God just happens to be in the context of your local church. So what you need to do is let him train you to do what God's called you to do. Yeah. And if everybody in the church will start doing what they're supposed to do. I have we have deacons and elders, and our deacons oversee the budget, the grounds. We got a lot of grounds here. I mean, we got property worth, I guess, five million dollars. So we've got buildings and facilities and grounds. The every deacon who serves, they serve for every guy who comes on. We, we go through this training, and they all know. They come in knowing. Our job is to take that load off the pastor. Mm-hmm. We don't want you worrying about facilities and all the you – know, I know pastors in small churches, they have to cut the grass every Saturday before church on Sunday. In my mind, that's pitiful. 
Yeah. And, and unless you're like just an ancient congregation, if there's one able-bodied person, they should. Right. And sometimes up. if it's a really small, small, like they got eight, 10, 12 people, yeah, then, then you difficult. understand yeah. you and I would do that. Yeah. We'd go mow the you grass. You got to do, yeah. But, but if you got a church of 150, surely there's somebody that could come. But so the deacon, and they tell me, they know our job is to get all of that off of you. Mm-hmm. We want you to cast vision, find out what where God wants this church to go. We want you to preach and have church every Sunday and get people saved and lay hands on them and build this, you know, build the body of Christ. That's we're going to take all that off of you. And and I, I and through the years I had to learn how to do that. Uh, and and now I've I just enjoy it and they love it. Mm-hmm. I, we'll have it. I say a couple guys if that's their area of expertise. I'll say we're in the D's. I say well. And I'll call him by name, so and so. Will you two guys handle this? Yeah, Pastor, we'll handle it. We people got it. are weird, man. Like my wife loves organizing stuff. Oh yeah, people love what they love, and I look at it. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing. What you like organizing a closet? That's a chore. <laughs> you well, know what I'm saying? Well, my my wife's like, oh, it's awesome. It, like, I love it. It brings gets, me joy. It brings you, well, <laughs> one of the greatest revelations that pastors will get, and Evan, a lot of them don't. But boy, if you ever get it, there are people that enjoy doing what you hate to do. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing everything and you're doing things like, I hate doing this, I guarantee you there's somebody in your church who says, I get the biggest thrill. I will. Let me do it. Like you said, they don't like organizing. Let me do it. I'll do it. And you're like, you will? Oh, yeah. I mean, who loves changing dirty diapers on babies? <laughs> right? Yeah. But there are women who absolutely just love babies. They love feeding them and the pooping and the peeing and all of it. They just don't love. bother them. And they're yeah. crying. They just, oh, they just love holding that baby the whole process. Well, then praise the Lord, you're working in the nursery. So that's why the body, we all have to do our parts. Mm-hmm. And if we all do our parts, then the body will be strong and it'll function and, and it'll be healthy. Yeah. And then Christ can use us if we'll just do our part. And that's why I love that passage in Ephesians. It says that the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting mm. ligament. It's all connected. Promotes the growth of the body for building itself up. Mm. You know, we just got to stop saying, somebody bail me up. I'm coming to church. Preach to me, preacher, and feed me. You're like a pig at a trough. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a certain point you got to say, feed me, but then turn around, give me a chance to feed somebody. Give me a chance to do something. Let me turn around and pour into somebody mm-hmm. and and help somebody and do do my part. Yeah. Man, you get a church full of people doing that. That's why if you get a church full of people who just sit on the on the pew or the chairs and then they leave every week and, and you can't get a move, that'll that'll frustrate a pastor. But you get a group of people that'll say, What do you need me to do? Mm-hmm. This is what I'm called to do. That church will thrive and grow and the body will be healthy. I think one of the things we ought to strive for in the body of Christ is health. Yeah. Healthy things grow. Maybe, maybe instead of worrying about about growing a church, maybe you should just worry about growing your people. I think that's what Paul's getting on here. Is like we're not talking about pragmatism. We're not we're not talking about corporatism, right? Like <clears throat> run it like a seat, like you're a CEO, and get everybody to maximize their potential so we can get maximized growth and we'll take the whole city by storm. He's saying when the body functions properly, it grows you up into Christ, into maturity, the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Jesus, so that you wouldn't be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. The goal here is not just sort of like numbers or being able to flex. It's legitimate spiritual maturity. When when the body functions properly, we become strong spiritually. We become firm spiritually, and your church doesn't dissolve into you know <clears throat> disunity and division and 
tribalism and silos and yeah, yeah. silos and all of those things. It's it's building us into the maturity of Jesus. So when you as a church member choose to walk in your God-given calling and choose to give, you're actually contributing to the spiritual strength and fullness of the church. And I think something as simple as cutting the grass, right, may build up the church because now the pastor has two extra hours to work on that sermon, pray through it, and benefit somebody and maybe not rush it. Right. Or when you choose to work in, in in an area of mercy and compassion, like you show up and give that meal, man, you strengthen that family. You keep that family at the church. You show them the love of Christ. You you inspire. I know when people do nice things for me, it inspires me to want to go and, and give to other people. When you give, who knows what you're stirring up in someone else? Well, you and I've talked about, <clears throat> and like I said, you and I, we determined today we were going to just sort of, we we're going to read this a lot of scripture and then talk, but. You and I talked recently, and there have been so many mega church pastors that have fallen. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, we were going through a list, and that list kept growing and growing and growing. Yeah. And a lot of times, the common theme is it's get the numbers, get the people, get new people, get them in, get them processed, then move them on. Let's get the next batch. We want to be the biggest church in America. And they've imploded, or the pastors have fallen. And there, there are mega churches. I'm thinking of one that's massive. And their pastor is solid, and he works hard to disciple his people and mobilize his people through ministries and small groups and and growth track, and they've sustained. Mm-hmm. But his goal is we want to we want to help the body. It's always about let's mobilize people and like, what can we do to help the body of Christ. That's the goal. My friend Austin Molt he had this quote that I thought was great. He said it's and he wasn't trying to be like crass, but he said. It's easy to make babies. It's hard to raise children. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and that's what it is. It's you, you can't just make babies. You, you can't just go get, 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 get. Eventually, you have to kind of do the hard work of raising the children, and well, that's part of it. I'll never forget, and I know Bill Hybels fell, okay, but Willow Creek was was sort of the grandpappy of the Secret Sense of Movement, and they had a massive church in Chicago, and Bill Hybels and his church influenced a lot of churches. And I think a lot of good came out of that. But they they started realizing they were losing people while they were still they just some, there was a back door that kept and they couldn't figure out why and I never forget they wrote this book and they published it and they said they started interviewing people in their church they did this massive and the people said we feel like here we're only going so far and then we stop mm. and there's nothing else we're not it's all the same we're getting taught the same thing it's all that introductory stuff to get us to a certain point and and, and then the 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 presupposition was uh, if we put people in ministry, then they'll grow spiritually. That's And a lot of churches have thought that. Mm-hmm. Well, what they found out, and it rocked the world, boy. It rocked, especially the seeker-sensitive world. It rocked it. What they found out was, no, it didn't. Mm. And that's what people told them. Yeah, I'm serving every week, but I'm not growing. And so and so there has to be the edifying with the equipping. Mm-hmm. You got to have both, and that's the why pastors and teachers aren't doing their job, and the saints can't no, really do they, their job. They were just teaching them doctrine and teachings only to a point, and then they weren't taking them any deeper. Like you just said, growing and getting mature and and getting deeper and raising mm-hmm. children, raising disciples, and boy, they changed. They 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 created a personal discipleship. And I know, I know, I know what happened to Willow Creek, but I still what they did was great. They they formed a personal discipleship plan. Mm-hmm. They helped everybody in their church develop a personal discipleship plan. Wow. 
I thought that was fantastic. And like we do that in growth track in our third one. Mm-hmm. We, we, we go through some fundamental things, but as you grow, you give. Um, but you know, we've kind of gone over time here. I think maybe a, a good whole episode would be on the marriage analogy. I think that would be a, a fantastic future episode. Um, but thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed this. Um, like, subscribe, all the good things that we usually tell you to do. Send it to somebody who needs it, and we'll see you back in a couple of weeks. <laughs>